Staff Sergeant Ronald J. Schurer distinguished himself by acts of gallantry and intrepidity above and beyond the call of duty on April the 6th, 2008, while serving as a senior medical sergeant, Detachment Task Force 33, in support of Operation Enduring Freedom. Staff Sergeant Shura was part of an assault element inserted by helicopter into a location in Afghanistan. As the assault element moved up a near vertical mountain toward its objective, it was engaged by a fierce enemy machine gun, sniper, and RPG fire. The lead portion of the assault element, which included the ground commander, sustained several casualties and became pinned down on the mountainside. Shura and the rest of the trailing portion of the assault element were likewise engaged by the enemy. As the attack intensified, Sergeant Shura braved enemy fire to move an injured soldier and treat his wounds. Having stabilized the injured soldier, he fought his way up the mountainside under intense enemy fire to the lead element's location. Upon reaching the lead element, he treated and stabilized four more soldiers. The bullet that had wounded one of those soldiers also impacted Sergeant Shura's helmet. With complete disregard for his own life, Shura again moved through enemy fire to treat and stabilize one soldier's severely wounded arm. Shortly thereafter, he continued to brave withering enemy fire to get, the other soldiers, to get to the other soldier's location in order to treat his lower leg, which had been almost completely severed by a high-caliber sniper round. After treating the soldier, he began to evacuate the wounded, carrying and lowering them down the near sheer mountainside. While moving down the mountain, Shura used his own body to shield the wounded from enemy fire and debris caused by danger-close airstrikes. Reaching the base of the mountain, he set up a casualty collection point and continued to treat the wounded. With the arrival of the medical evacuation helicopter, Shura, again under enemy fire, helped load the wounded into the helicopter. Having ensured the safety of the wounded, he then regained control of his commando squad and rejoined the fight. He continued to lead his troops and emplace security elements until the squad was evacuated. Staff Sergeant Shura's actions are in keeping with the finest tradition of military service and reflect great credit upon himself and the United States Army. And that was Staff Sergeant Rod Shura's abridged Medal of Honor citation. Now, I'm sure you'd agree with me that accounts like this one are always inspiring as we realize that these incredible acts of bravery and courage are almost always motivated by something more than looking forward to a paycheck at the end of the month. There's something more driving people to do these self-sacrificing uh, acts where they risk their own life. And tonight we want to look at three such individuals very briefly, and we want to seek to learn from their example, not primarily how to be brave, but how we, as servants of the Most High God, can spend ourselves like they did in service of our great King. So thank you, Stuart, for braving that a withering passage. Um, and if you would like to turn back there, we're going to 2 Samuel 23, verses 8 to 16. I'm not going to reread that, but I'll be making reference to it as we go along. Uh, just out of interest, there is a parallel account in 1 Chronicles 11, 15 to 18. Uh, very similar, some slight, slight wording differences. Well, who were these men exactly, you might be wondering? These mighty men. Well, you may remember that after years of the nation of Israel doing whatever was right in each man's own eyes under the judges, 
the Lord commanded Samuel, the very last judge in Israel's history, to anoint Saul, the son of Kish, to be king over all Israel. Under Saul, the nation rallied and united, and because of Saul's disobedience, ultimately, that kingdom was torn away from Saul and given to David, the son of Jesse. David, you'll no doubt remember, was, it began his military career with the killing of Goliath with the stone. And thereafter, he led the army of Israel to great military heights during his reign as king. So David's mighty men were a select group of trusted and accomplished warriors in David's militia and ultimately in the army of Israel, who became renowned for their military prowess, for their courage, and for their ultimate devotion to king and country. These 30 men were famous for things such as vanquishing numerically superior forces single-handedly often, for striking down heroes, for overcoming wild beasts like lions, and for generally just being men of great valor. Many of them had joined David very early on uh, while he was still being pursued by Saul and very far from the throne. We know that these men included the likes of Abishai, Benaiah, Asahel, and Uriah the Hittite. Furthermore, it seems as if there were two tiers within these 30 mighty men. There were these three chief men, and then there were the 30 others who were listed. Now, if you count their names, there were actually more than 30 mighty men, um, but I suspect that comes from the fact that there were probably originally 30 mighty men, and as more were added to their number, they retained that designation of the 30. These mighty men very clearly achieved great military feats, and yet These accounts are recorded in Scripture not so that we can admire these men and their physical abilities. Rather, we are to recognize that the Lord used these men to bless and save Israel, as is stated so clearly in 1 Chronicles 11, 14, and the Lord saved them by a great victory. So tonight, as we continue to study some of these lesser-known characters of Scripture or these hidden figures, if you will, I'd like to direct your attention to just three of these 30 men, these 30 mighty men. We're told that the chief of these these 30 uh, mighty men are Joshabashabeth, or Jashabim, Eliezer, and Shammah. These three were almost like Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor, who sort of lead the Avengers. And whenever I use an Avengers illustration, one of the kids invariably corrects me afterwards. So I trust you agree with me. They were kind of like the leaders, eh? Am I right? Okay, that's, that's what these, these mighty men were. They were extraordinary among uncommon. So 2 Samuel 23 recounts an exploit of three of these mighty men. And my guess is that from the context, it's referring to these three chief mighty men, but we aren't told explicitly by the text. Now, the setting for these three mighty men and their valor is the cave of Adullam. And if that cave of Adullam rings a bell, that's because that's where David was fleeing from Saul and he hid in this cave. And then his family plus 400 men came and joined him later. Now we see later in David's history, we see after he's become king, he's now back in this cave as they war against the Philistines whose army is now camped in the valley of Rephaim. 2 Samuel 5 probably describes this occasion, describes the occasion for this incident uh, because we are told that they were encamped in this valley of Rephaim and now they had moved and set up camp, a stronghold in Bethlehem, 
which you'll remember was David's hometown. And while David's encamped in this cave of Adullam, David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Now, we're not told why David said this. We're not told why he wanted this water from the well. Perhaps the army was short on water at the time. Perhaps the water that they had was not very good water. Or perhaps David was simply just voicing his longing for the the well of which he had such fond memories as a child. My guess is that he was probably lamenting the presence of these enemies of God who were now within Bethlehem in such close proximity. But whatever the reason is for him saying this, Joshabim, Eliezer, and Shammah hear this wish of David, and they valiantly, at great risk to themselves, fight their way through the garrison of the Philistines, and they obtain this desired well water and make it back to David alive. Now, the text makes it quite clear that this wasn't some clandestine night mission. Okay, they didn't don night vision goggles, blacked out spec ops overalls, and take out the guards with silent sniper rounds after reconnoitring the, the site with a drone. No, they didn't do that. The text says that they broke through the camp of the Philistines. This was likely a bold and deadly foray through multiple hostile enemy commandos in order to take the water of the well of Bethlehem by force back to their king. It's all too easy to read an account like this, which takes a few seconds, and miss the significance of this military act. This was incredible. This was something which, humanly speaking, was actually impossible. Now, we see Israel accomplishing many great military feats throughout their history, beginning at Exodus, where you'll remember the Lord leads the nation of Israel through the Red Sea and then accomplishes this great victory, destroying the army of the Egyptians in the midst of the Red Sea through which the Israelites had passed safely on dry ground. Later, we see many instances of Israel with little to no fighting experience defeating the armies of other nations. We see them conquering the walled city of Jericho and striking while the iron is hot as Joshua stops the sun in the sky in order to prolong the day so that the troops might defeat the Amorites. A little earlier in 1 Samuel 14, we even see the example of Jonathan and his armor-bearer who go to the garrison of the Philistines, and Jonathan says, It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Likewise, this incredible foray of these three mighty men into the stronghold of the Philistines in Bethlehem was nothing short of miraculous, and is surely a victory directly sent from the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, this account is, again, not given to us that we might admire the military prowess of these three men, but rather that we can learn something about how God works through means and how he can use mere men and women like you and I to do his great works here on earth. And tonight, I just want to take take note of a few simple realities which meant that these three ordinary men were able to be used by God, counted mighty, and remembered for all history for their devotion to their Lord. So firstly, notice that these mighty men were near their Lord. They were near their Lord. As I mentioned earlier, it's very unlikely that David was seriously asking for someone to attempt this to get him the water. And we know that because of how he responds later when he gets the water. 
When he's presented with the water, he pours it out on the ground before the Lord. And he doesn't do this as an offensive, dismissive action, spurning this incredible act of devotion from his men. When, when it says that he poured it out to the Lord, I read that as a, a profound act of worship, where David was saying, I'm not worthy of this sacrifice. I'm not worthy of drinking this water obtained uh, at the risk of these men's lives, but Yahweh is worthy. So we see that David didn't seriously expect to receive the water, and so he probably hadn't issued an order, go and get me water from the well of Bethlehem, but he probably spoke these words of longing so that just those closest to him would have heard. And these three mighty men were in a position to serve their Lord because they were near him. They loved their king and they wanted to be close by him. It wasn't good enough for them to sit far off, mingling only among their peers, the other soldiers. No, they wanted to be with King David. And let me ask you tonight, how near are you to your Lord? Do you consciously draw near to the Lord daily? Are you spending time in prayer? And is it your desire to serve the Lord in any way possible? Are you living for His glory alone, or are you living for your own comfort, with God tacked on to the weekend? Practically drawing near to God looks like keeping short accounts with Him. It looks like not holding grudges. It looks like not living a hypocritical life. Practically, this looks like seeking God among His people, as we are doing this evening, those whom He sent Jesus to redeem. The fact is that the further we are from God, the less likely we're going to be able to be used by God to accomplish His works. The only way that ordinary men and women like you and I are going to be used by God for extraordinary tasks is if we are near to our Lord in the first place, loving Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, just like we see these three mighty men did with their Lord. Secondly, they listened to their Lord. These mighty men were used by God to serve their king, not only because they were near their Lord, but they were actually listening for his voice. They weren't just speaking to him about their needs, their desires. They were actually listening to him. Are you seeking to hear from your Lord daily? Are you content to hear him speak just once a week? Practically, if we want to be those who are used by God, we need to be constantly listening for His voice. And this looks like daily, daily spending time in Scripture, praying, reading good books, and talking about the things of the Lord with godly friends. This looks like reading Scripture with a view to praying Scripture back to God, rather than simply coming to Him with the same shopping list of needs every day. Like these mighty men, we need to be listening carefully for the voice of our Lord. Thirdly, they were willing to serve their Lord. These mighty men were near their Lord, they were listening for His voice, and they were willing, what, willing to put what they heard into action straight away. They were willing to serve their Lord. How many of us are happy to serve the Lord on our own terms? doing the things that we enjoy and that we feel like we're good at when it's convenient and when we feel like we have excess resources to spare. These men would have missed out on an opportunity to do great things for their king if they were only willing to do things like head up David's military 
Training Academy or be Israel's Minister of Defense or be a foreign ambassador or some other glamorous job like that. These were seasoned warriors who were leaders of men, masters of war, and yet they were willing to get David a drink of water just because he asked for it. When it came to serving their Lord, nothing was too menial for them. Nothing was beneath them. Nothing was too inconvenient for them. Is this how we serve our Lord? I think many of us think that we would be willing to do anything for Jesus if he came and asked for it directly. But if that's true, why aren't we doing it now? Why do we allow our pride to get in the way of doing basic menial tasks? Why are we so slow, for example, to serve at basic, in the creche, as a deacon, or as part of the Sunday morning prayer meeting? These men, very important men by anyone's standards, they were able to gloriously serve their Lord because they were willing to do whatever he needed, no matter how humble the task. Paradoxically, these men are remembered as great, they're remembered as mighty men, precisely because they were willing to do the tough job, the menial job, the inconvenient job. What did Jesus say to us? But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Fourthly, they took risks for their Lord who was worthy. These mighty men were near their Lord, they were listening to their Lord, they were willing to serve their Lord. But they weren't serving on their own terms. They didn't only serve when it was convenient or when it would bring them glory. They were willing to take risks for their Lord. For these men, breaking through the camp of the Philistines to get water from the well, there was no guarantee of success. We look at this with the benefit of hindsight. In fact, I think failure would have probably looked rather silly. I mean, how trivial. Why would you take such risks for such a, such a small return? They risked so much for a glass of water. But these men were not trying to judge their Lord's motives or the importance of the task. They were not concerned with what David was going to do with the water. They were only concerned with being of service. Being seasoned soldiers, they would have known the risks of the mission full well, but their love for David was such that they would have gladly given their lives getting a cup of water. Their priorities reflected their love, you see. They loved David more than they loved their comfort. They loved him more than they loved their health or even their own lives. They were willing to put it all on the line just to serve their Lord. I think they would have understood the words of John Piper, it's better to lose your life than to waste it. Now we too need to ensure that our lives are centered around the Lord and his will. It's not good enough that God is important in your life. It's not good enough that you come to church regularly in tithe. We need to value our worship above comforts, above health, above safety. Gathering with the saints is worth taking risks for, and I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight. Would it be worth getting sick for coming to church? Would it be worth missing a sporting event to come to church? Is worship worth losing sleep over? These mighty men were willing not only to serve their Lord, but they served him at great personal risk to themselves when it was not comfortable to do so. And I put it to you that we should follow their example. The bottom line is that they were willing to take risks and serve David because they had weighed their Lord in their hearts and found that he was worthy. 
David was an incredible leader. He was a great warrior who went with his men into battle, and he was a man who was said to be after God's own heart. And yet David was only a man, and he was a flawed man at best. When push came to shove, David was the king who arranged for one of his mighty men to be murdered after getting him drunk, just to get himself out of a tight spot. But our Lord is different. Instead of our Lord wiping us out when we were his enemies, instead of our Lord putting us in the forefront of the fighting, he went there himself. Our Lord didn't put soldiers at risk. Instead, he came and took the certain death that we deserved for our sin, becoming cursed by hanging on a tree in order that we might in him become the righteousness of God. Our Lord came to earth, lived a perfect life, and then died the death that we deserved such that we could have his righteousness. He did this because he loved us. If David's men wanted to be near their Lord, if they wanted to listen to their Lord, if David's men were willing to give their lives in service of their Lord, how much more should we be eager to live for ours? How much more should we be eager to redeem every moment, using all of our time not to entertain ourselves to death, but to bring honor and glory to his name? So as you hear of and read of acts of gallantry, valor and service, as you see men and women doing that, that which doesn't come naturally, think not that they were extraordinary people, but think about what might be motivating and driving them to live that way. Say not that they are mighty, say rather that they must have a great love. Scripture tells us that we love God because He first loved us. Do your actions show that you love God? Will you serve in any capacity simply because He is worthy? These men did, and I trust we will follow their example. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the greater David. We thank you that Jesus laid his life down for his friends. We pray that you, we would prove to be your friends as we reflect that love back to you. As we draw near to you, as we listen to you, and as we serve you in whatever way you ask, simply because you are worthy. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.